0: Testing, testing. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone (laughs) picker picker. Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello. Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the pod first. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones Podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. Thank you so much for tuning in to another installment. We are rapidly approaching the year anniversary of this experiment, this little passion project. I'm so glad you're here, you gleefully gay gales, you tenaciously tempting Terry's, you salivating sensuous sallies. Thanks for coming. Thanks for sitting down. Thanks for being a part of this. I'm really... Really excited for today's podcast. I've got a bit of a new I've got a new idea. We're gonna see how this goes. This is this is a total experiment. We're gonna do a little little playground, a little playtime. But all in all, things here in Denver, Colorado are are glorious. We got another spring snow. It feels like these last two weeks of March, these dark kind of desperate last days of of winter here they're they're easing up a bit we've got some more snow coming but we're getting it just feels different the snow we had most recently was this really heavy wet spring snow that starts as rain and then it doesn't really get down to freezing Uh, up in the upper atmosphere it's a little bit colder so we get these snows and we got a big one so there's still some snow on the ground, but it's going to be 50 the next couple days. The the clocks changed. I heard that our our government here in America is almost uni- unanimously decided and agreed upon getting rid of the time change. So so thank thank you. Thank you for agreeing on something that we all think sucks. If only you could Agree on other things that we all think suck, but we'll take small wins, small win. I'm going to focus on the the joy of uh, feeling like there's some kind of cohesive thing going on in government. And so, yeah, the sun's out a little bit later. It's warming up. The tulips are starting to push through. All the bulbs that have planted, the equinox is coming up on the 20th, which means there'll be a perfect balance between light and dark. Here in the Northern Hemisphere. And it's just spring. I just kind of feel that buzz, that energy, that vitality, the fecund creative power of the earth this time of year. It's really palpable. I'm feeling excited about projects and second year of this podcast coming up. And it's just such a good time to kind of check in, see how the winter was, see see what seeds we want to plant, what bulbs we planted last fall are starting to uh, push up through the earth, you know, metaphorically. The work we've been doing internally, externally, seeing how that manifests, how that's coming up, those those things that take the dark, cocoon-like nature of soil and muck to uh, to grow beautiful things. You know, there are a million teachings on in the east about how the lotus flower grows from the mud and it takes the mud so it's a really fun time of year to kind of get some of the tangible benefits of those things that we process in the darkness those things that can only grow in tight quarters the tight corners of our mind and soul so i'm I'm excited for that i'm excited to see physical non-metaphorical flowers leaves on the trees i heard the birds this morning so that just feels really nice and I'm uh, sitting here drinking a glorious latte that I made for myself out of my uh, they them mug that my aunt was just delightful thoughtful caring enough to buy for Christmas it was uh, one of my favorite Christmas presents this year it's got my pronouns on them so every time I drink my coffee i feel affirmed in my identity and my sexuality and my gender and if you don't know anything i'm not going to go too far into this i realize this is a, a whole podcast which i'll hopefully have in the future with some guests to have a discussion about gender and sexuality and pronouns but just a quick snapshot if you don't know anything about it just google why do pronouns matter and listen to some queer people about why their pronouns matter. And just believe them. Uh, it's really. Quick little story here. Little side. I, Gender is a social construct. We usually put it on babies. You know gender reveal parties. We're telling people who they are. And what characteristics they're going to have. Before they're even born or fully developed. You know our brains don't stop developing. till we're 25. But we tell people about their identity. Their whole childhood. And so I remember at a young age um it was around when my parents got divorced and everybody felt like i needed a positive male role model and uh so there was like there's some effort to like have my friends dads i remember a lot of like awkward uh dinners going <laughs> going to dinner with my friends dad friends dads and uh sitting down and you know kind of this was like really pushed, I think, by my mom. But like, you need a positive male influence in your life, which I did. You know, it was it was a it was a hole in my life. So I remember having all these like, you know, meet with men to become a man. And at a pretty young age, I was like, I just realized I was like, oh, so like I need to learn how. This is something I need to learn how to do. And so, because of what I've been told, I decided that like, okay, I'm gonna go learn how to be a man and I got a job doing construction and I learned all of the just beautiful and shitty things about masculinity toxic masculinity but I remember it very much being like this is a role I'm learning to play and uh as I've aged and gotten older and kind of looked at some of those times in my life and looked at my identity through meditation and introspection a lot of that just fell away and it definitely was a role that i learned to play and so that's that's my little quick aside about gender it's just something we learn and i remember setting out learning how to be a man and then i realized i don't totally it's not my identity it's not how i feel on the inside all the time kind of goes back and forth and so i've got my delightful mug with my delightful latte with my delightful pronouns written all over it and so <laughs> that, was, that was a little tangent didn't didn't plan on going into gender today but that was a, a little aside but I think it it ties nicely into the intention I have for today's podcast which is to sit down and talk about something that I think is just super fan- like fascinating it is quite possibly One of the most fascinating things, I think, about being a human, and it's having a brain. Like, we all have brains. I uh, worked in special ed for a long time, studied human development, studied psychology, personally and professionally, you know, the impacts of trauma, which I've talked about quite frequently. And so today's episode, I want to uh, give a little little caveat. This isn't This podcast isn't going anywhere. This is... So our brains are... uh, They do a lot of things, but one of the things they primarily do, especially with sight, sound, in lots of ways, they're pattern recognition machines. And you're going through your day recognizing familiar patterns. And for me, my whole life, I've loved seeing patterns. I've loved finding patterns, seeing patterns where they don't exist. I remember staring up at clouds as a little kid and You know, you see a face And you're like, oh whoa! there's a face in the clouds Oh my god You kind of have this little freak out moment And so it's always been something that's fun So the, I guess if this podcast Does have an intention, it's just To put out A lot of random things about our brains And then, you know, you as listeners Can uh, Connect some patterns Maybe you'll see something there about yourself Maybe you'll see something about the world Maybe you'll see something about your relationships. Um, but that's one of the uh, the most fun games to me is uh, just, just finding patterns, you know, deep listening. Meditation has really taught me, or it's improved my ability to deeply listen and recognize patterns. I think that quite frequently astrology, whether it's Vedic or Western astrology, gets misconstrued to be like, Uh, predictive or prescriptive when actually it's, uh, you know, people have been just observing these patterns for thousands and thousands of years and there's some some correlations and not causation. And if you're confused about that, pause the podcast and go watch a YouTube video about the difference between causation and correlation. I'm just going to pick up like we all know that now we're gonna jump right into this i've got a long sheet of facts fun things i learned this week about our brains and this being said you know we all have very different brains they're traumatic brain injuries that change our brains There, you can have tumors or you know neural divergence whether that be adhd or autism or the way that uh complex post-traumatic stress disorder can change your brain Uh, in utero trauma if your mother experiences trauma while you're developing that can change your brain so this isn't a one size fits all but primarily this is what brains do Um, and there's there's variants and so to me one of the coolest things about being alive is the opportunity to get to know and understand my brain because it's really the one relationship I'm going to have I have it all the time I think that, what did I read? We have between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. I'm gonna say that again, 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. That's like 2000 to 3000 thoughts per hour. And anybody who's kind of looped on anything can probably relate to this. Like if you have anxiety or if something's really chapping your ass, you keep thinking about it. It's like kind of incredible how frequently the brain just kind of outgasses thoughts. And so, one of the coolest things about meditation and therapy uh, is getting to know myself. You know, I'm, I I ha- I can't imagine sharing. <laughs> you know, think about your day and how many thoughts you have in a day. And think about how many thoughts you actually share with other people. Like, no one is ever going to know you. As well as you have the opportunity to know yourself. And I just think that's really freaking cool, you know? Like, it's like i got a front row seat to the movie of my life. And I want to understand this character. I want to understand how it works. And so that's kind of... It's just it's one of the things I geek out on. I mean, I'll read cognitive neuroscience for fun just because it's like it just i like thinking about it and we'll just jump right in to this disorganized list of brains fat brain facts that i put together and so one thing that's really cool and i used to talk about this a lot was like uh an education You know, I'd watch adults expect teenagers to be able to act like adults. You know, you look at this person and they look closer to an adult physically than they ever have before. And so adults would quite frequently think that they were capable of doing things that they weren't capable of doing, but your brain doesn't stop growing until you're quite a bit older. Your frontal lobe doesn't stop developing. Your frontal lobe keeps developing until you're 25. And so your frontal lobe is kind of—it's—it's it's this really important center in our brain, where we do executive functioning, uh, problem solving, memory, pattern recognition, uh, symbol meaning correspondence. It's—it's it's pretty neat. And so that doesn't stop developing till you're 25. And as you develop, like, we have these different seasons with our brains. So your memory and processing speed. So your memory is your ability to, mean, I'm sure all of you know what memory is. I don't need to explain it. Uh, Your processing speed is how fast you process information. And those kind of max out in your mid-20s. So right around the time that your frontal lobe is like, I am here and I am ready to be an adult, you know, at 25 your processing speed, you remember everything. It's really pretty, it's pretty neat. It's a cool time. In your mid thirties, your facial recognition and problem solving are at their peak, which is, in my experience, pretty cool. Like I was doing a lot of work, you know, in really complex systems and education in my mid thirties. So that kind of lines up for me. Uh, Your emotional control and empathy, Peak in your 40s and 50s, which I can totally testify. And I think this is kind of this is cool thing. And the older I get, the more I understand it. It's the older you get, you're always like, oh yeah, my 40s are way better than my 30s. My 30s are way better than my 20s. And we have all these reasons for that that we come up with, all these stories we tell. But I think it's it's fascinating that it, it seems to me that the way that a brain develops moves towards more contentment and peace which is pretty cool that's a pretty cool <laughs> part of the system and then in your 60s and 70s your vocabulary is at its peak which i 100 percent can verify because i have an aunt who knows pretty much everything and will always kick my ass at scrabble i'm talking I think I'm well read I think I'm well researched I cannot beat my aunt at Scrabble it's like a teenager trying to box Mike Tyson (laughs) it's really pretty incredible the amount of things that my aunt words that my aunt knows how to spell knows the meanings of it's really it's fascinating which I also think you know historically kind of makes sense because when we used to value the wisdom of the elderly and we didn't kind of ship them off to nursing homes and devalue them because they no longer have value inside of a capitalistic production based system. Like they would have needed to know, it would have, it would have been necessary for your elders to, to hold to be the meaning keepers. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Um your brain only weighs 3 pounds. So you could get out your calculator or around 3 pounds. It's about 2% of your body weight, which is pretty It's pretty crazy that one of the most important organs in your body is only 2% of your body and it controls like so much, like, you know. Just think about it. Right now, do you know what your spleen's doing? You have no clue probably don't even know where your spleen is but your spleen and your brain know what's going on they're having a whole conversation right now that, that you don't <laughs> that, that, that you don't even know about um, your brain requires 20 percent of your body's supply of oxygen and so that's pretty incredible there are hundreds of miles of blood vessels in your brain. They're intricate webs, tiny and woven together. And of those hundreds, this this blew my mind. This is a totally adjacent fact, but there are hundreds of thousands, like a hundred thousand miles of blood vessels in your whole body. That's enough to drive around the Earth four times. So just think about, it. look at your body, and just holy shit. That's incredible to me. I don't know that. Just that blows my mind. <clears throat> and your brain is so important that it uses twenty-five percent of all the energy that your body generates. So we get most of our energy through metabolism, as many of you might well know. Um, but it's pretty incredible because other primates, like uh, gorillas, have much smaller brains. Chimpanzees who have. Uh, are, you know, other apes have brains that are closer to our size. Like they have to eat eight to nine hours a day, and have much, many fewer neurons, are capable of way less complex tasks. But they have to eat nine times nine hours a day, which is which is crazy, just to the power of their brains to do the tasks they do. And our body uses 25% of all our energy. So, like, the question, I got really intrigued here. I was like, well, what the, what the hell is the difference? What What's going on there, you know? Why don't I have to eat all day, every day? You know, why, how, how can I have, like, three meals that seem to power my brain? Like, my brain can literally, your brain can literally power a light bulb. There's so much electricity in it. And so, like, what's going on? So I went down a wormhole and I found out some cool stuff. Basically, the whole whole reason is because we can cook our food. So cooking our food helps us break it down sooner. So, so the enzymes, the proteins, all the stuff that, that are in food that we metabolize into energy breaks down so it's easier for us to do. And I don't know if any of you know this, like we start digesting food as soon as it hits our tongue, we start breaking it down. And so cooking our food lets us get way more out of our food. And so over the course of human evolution, once we had fire and the ability to cook our food, we you see our brains change dramatically. It's like an incredible rise in capacity and function with the the advent of cooked foods and also cooking food gives us more free time to do other things besides look for and eat food and so our brains start to develop art and culture and society and all these really cool things that we kind of just like look around we're like oh this is just how it is no it wasn't like that wasn't how it always was like the fire myths that exist in every single culture pretty much um of humans getting fire Like, it was incredibly important for us. Like, it was like, basically, it's why we have the brains we have. I think it's why, on some level, when you're camping or there's a fire, you just, like, want to stare at it. It's mesmerizing. Like, fire literally changed the course of our evolution and the history and the planet and all these things. So, like, every culture in Africa, there are fire myths that – one of them was Icagon, I might be pronouncing that wrong, my apologies, um, took the form of a mantis and brought fire to the people by stealing it from the ostrich who kept the fire beneath its wings. In the Americas, fire was stolen and given to humans You know, by animal spirits, coyotes, beavers, dogs. Um, rabbits stole fire from an old man and an aliquin. Cherokee myth, the possum and the buzzard had failed to steal father, so the grandmother f- spider used her web to sneak in to the land of the light. And she stole the fire, holding it in a clay pot or a silk net. Just so many cool stories. Uh, the Rig Veda in India, uh, Mutservan uh, recovered fire, which had been hidden from humanity. And yeah, in Greek mythology, there's the famous story about Prometheus who steals the heavenly fire for humanity, enabling the progress of civilization. Polynesia, Maui, stole fire from the moodhens It's just like, it's there's so many... Just, I don't know, that just like blew my mind that there's this... <clears throat> that we have a literary and spiritual component to these huge these huge developments for us evolutionarily and basically the next time you cook food just I mean I don't think time is a bad time to be grateful but that's a pretty big deal that we can cook some food and then have enough energy you know I, I cooked oatmeal this morning that oatmeal is literally powering this podcast The cinnamon, the nutmeg, the ginger, the peanut butter, the banana, the oats, the water all coming together to break that down so that I can make speech, I can put together these thoughts and talk about it. It's it's fascinating to me and it really just gives me a profound sense of humility for what's going on here. So every action in the brain, like I've kind of alluded to, is an electrical signal. Some of those signals can travel up to 230 miles an hour. Some of them might be a little bit slower. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Maybe like if you burn yourself, it takes a like. Sometimes you can like hold a flame, and it takes a second for your brain to register that there's pain. That's the speed that they're traveling. Um, brains are pretty much just fat just fat they it's just 60 percent plain old fat 73 percent wait no this doesn't add up but it's like oh there's water in the fat so 73 percent of your brain is water uh 60 percent of the the solids in your brain are fat and that's why you know fish oils are so good for you good for memory and stuff like that your body can't make fat so you need to eat it um 86 billion neurons, 86 billion, you can't even comprehend that. I can't, can't I've heard you can't comp, really comprehend any number over 100. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the, the stuff that I read thought that, you know, the huge difference, like once we were able to cook food, was that we then were able to develop our prefrontal cortex, uh, the frontal lobe, that finishes developing when you're 25, and that, of the 86 billion, it has 16 billion of the neurons are in there, and they control like speech, language, memory, decision making, attention. Um, yeah, like I said, a lot of your brain is water. Even a 2% total body dehydration can affect the brain, and so, just think back to one of those glorious mornings that you woke up after drinking a little bit too much. And the alcohol had dehydrated you by two percent—how did your brain feel? That's that's just dehydration. Uh, kind of in my my history of observing myself, I've noticed that you know hangovers have like multiple components, and one of the huge pieces of it is just dehydration. It's like a hangover is like part dehydration, part sleep deprivation or not getting good enough sleep. Part toxicity blood alcohol like your top blood toxicity level and then whatever the the dread is all about just the existential despair that comes from drinking a little too much Um, and if you have all four you've got like one of those category you know 12 hangovers that nobody ever wants and makes everybody say that i'm never gonna drink again ah what else do we have here speaking of drinking lots of drinking (laughs) happens at concerts so this was a really cool thing i discovered like have you ever noticed like you feel a little bit more connected to somebody if you're sharing an experience um like eating food or watching a movie you know it kind of feels like you're just synced up if you can agree on what what's going on in reality and there's actual evidence that that our brains start to sync up with one another and they did this by studying musicians playing music together and so music can synchronize your brainwaves. so two people playing music together i don't know if you've ever played music with people but it it feels like one of the most intimate things in the world uh, if you're singing and looking somebody in the eyes i mean i would say it's just as intimate if not more intimate than having sex like i've I've had some absolutely transcendent moments playing music with other people but it made me think about like think about a concert you know it's the musicians are all synced up their brains are all their wavelength and then everyone in the audience is kind of their brain is synced to the music too and people are dancing and of course inside of that everyone's having different experiences but like for the most part it's like a concert feels like this palpable wave of connection and i just thought that was fascinating that all of our brains start to sync up when we play music together or listen to music would take a little little break here and hit my vape What was another neat one every second there are a hundred thousand chemical reactions in your brain so basically the older i've gotten i basically i really nerd out about this like a lot of what i do in my day-to-day routine is to make sure that my brain is optimizing you know it's it's, it's functioning in a healthy manner you know i watch my caffeine intake i, I watch what i eat i watch What I drink. Don't drink too often. Um, You know, the only thing I would say that I'm still hooked on that is probably affecting, well, it's definitely affecting my brain. My brain chemistry is the nicotine from this vape. um, But i got to pick my battles. Otherwise, I'll just crash. So 100,000 chemical reactions in the brain. Every second. So your brain is constantly, you know, like automating your heart. In your breath and it's aware that you have toes and feet should you need to run out of the building it's always kind of ready and it's just always doing stuff um, what else do we have here what are some other interesting facts this little playground i think i've talked about this before but Your brain produces a hormone that keeps the body from acting out your dreams. And so if you've ever had sleep paralysis, you basically what's happening is your body hasn't that hormone or that part of your brain is still restricting the movement. And so you're conscious, but you can't move. And. That to me is really cool. Like, can you can you watch dogs like and they dream and their arms are like kind of waving like and then, like my dog makes like little mini barks when she sleeps. I just think it's really neat that without that one hormone, I would be like running, trying to run down the street or jump out of my bed or you know had I wonder what would happen if that wasn't online and I had like a skydiving dream. I'd probably wake up on the floor um yeah your brain is just always doing stuff it's just really it's just fascinating that i have this like computer literally like one of the things i read was that if our brains were fully optimized they could hold all of the information on the internet like everything which is just mind-boggling to me like but inside of all of that, I'm able to, like, focus enough to sit down and have this conversation with you all. Some of you may have heard that your smell, you know, like, if, if you've ever smelled something, that you kind of might have a, a memory, a really strong memory, like a somatic memory something you feel in your body and it feels like a little bit more real than just like remembering waiting for the bus when you were a little kid but smell is directly connected to the emotional center of our brain so there's like a an easier pathway for that energy to travel between between neurons and yeah you just have you have all these memories and there's a study done and you might have a, a memory of this in your life. There was a study done, and they would have couples. So one group, couples would have challenging conversations. And so one group just had the smell of the food. Like they, it was over it was over a meal, and one of the couples would have just the smell of the food, and the other couple, well, we'd get rid of the food. The couples were just sitting across from each other. In one room, there would be like very... Almost no smell, unless there was, like, body odor or something. But in the control group, there wasn't any smell. And then the other group, there was trash, the smell of trash. And there was, like, a 75% increase in the... How would I describe this? There was, just like, a 75% increase in, like, the rate of fights that would happen between couples when the smell of trash was present. And so, like, smells, like, how your apartment smells could directly be related to your mood i just think that's that's pretty fascinating what else do we have here oh an orgasm activates 30 major systems in your brain Duh. (laughs) Um, i think that's why human beings love sex so much it really the the psychological the neurochemical benefits of orgasms are starting to be talked about a little bit but, uh, you know, more frequently and less taboo that like orgasms are actually good for our mental health, and there's less puritanical shame around sex and orgasms. But that's pretty cool. Sex is good for you. When you sleep in a new environment, the brain processes danger and only half sleeps. I've totally had this experience it's like traveling it's like you don't really sleep well for the first couple of nights but it's because your brain being in a new environment hasn't been able to establish uh, patterns right like so my brain is completely used to the patterns in my bedroom you know i sleep better when my closet doors are shut I sleep better when my room is clean you know if my room's a little messy i sleep a little bit worse but going to a new place your brain Hasn't consistently been able to predict that that environment's safe, that the patterns in that room are safe. I thought that was really funny. It's like you know, just a lamp being out of place can make my brain be on guard, you know, or a different color, a different bed. You know, you th- I think so often it's like, oh, the beds sucked, you know. How many times have you been on vacation and someone's like, oh, the beds, can't sleep because my don't have my pillows. It's really not that. It has nothing to do with that. I mean, it could. Like, I have slept on some pretty shitty beds. (laughs) But, for the most part, it's because the environment is different and your brain doesn't feel comfortable enough relaxing into deep sleep so that you can get good rest. And so, yeah, that's just... There's just so many fascinating things about our brain. And I'm probably going to keep doing this series just because it's really fun for me. It, uh... It just makes me think of a lot of things, which is not ironic. I don't think it's ironic. I think it stands to reason that, you know, thinking about this just lights my brain up, you know. That, that metacognition, that thinking about thinking that I find super enjoyable, you know. And it's like, I think one of the things, it's like the scariest Right is like when we don't feel like we have access to our brain, you know, when it feels like we've lost consciousness. So an example of that is if you drink too much, it's not that there's, you know, something morally corrupt about you, it's that your brain literally can't make new memories, and that's what blacking out is. And so having experienced blacking out and waking up absolutely terrified, like what in the shit happened? Uh, my brain was literally not able to make new memories past a certain point of inebriation, um, which is really, I think, I think that's pretty interesting. I think it's pretty interesting that we've completely pathologized something that is mechanical. Um, And that's not to say or make light of, you know, serious addiction issues, um, you know, because those all have their their negative impacts on the person, their health, their emotional, spiritual well-being, the people around them. But just that it's a mechanical thing. And, you know, maybe take a little bit of the, the guilt and shame out of it. Anyhow, moving on. Another time that we totally lose consciousness, and this one's always blown my mind, is anesthesia. So if any of you have ever had a surgery or been put under you know, like when you sleep, you can have like super deep sleep, but you still feel like time has passed. You know, you feel like whether you dreamt, you can like, you can tell how you slept. You can, you can have the, the feeling or the sense that universe, consciousness, reality has continued to go on around you. You know, the, the, The numbers on your clock have changed. There's evidence. The sun is up, whereas before it was dark. And internally, our bodies kind of have this feeling that time has passed. But when you get put under an anesthesia, it could be like, I don't know if you've you've been put under, but for me, I always, I used to have lots of surgeries. There was a a long stretch in my life. I had to have my septum fixed. I had to have my tonsils taken out. I had multiple hand surgeries, I had knee surgery. And there was a point where I got really like kind of excited because it was like such a unique experience to have that like you would just be there and then you'd be somewhere else and you couldn't tell how long it had been. It felt like it felt like a second. But they tell you it's a 4-hour surgery. And you can't really you know, you could search your memory laying there or once you sober up from the drugs they gave you, but you can't really tell that time is packed. Like, it just felt like there's, like, this blip in your existence. I heard this guy talking about it. He's like, anesthesia is, a, a, it's really magic. It basically turns human beings into an object, you know. One thing that we feel like separates us from, like, a plant or a pot or a couch is that, you know, I'm aware that I'm a couch. So I have a conscious, a consciousness, and I don't know, it's just really fascinating to me that humans have come up with something so that we can do surgeries that basically makes our brains not be able to tell that time has passed, because I think that's such a fundamental component of what our brain, it's like such a fundamental function of our brain, is like feeling like I'm a continuous self and I heard this really cool quote this guy Nil Seth, said that consciousness has less to do with intelligence and more to do with our nature as a living and breathing organism um, you don't have to be smart to suffer but you do have to be conscious and so yeah like our brains you know I think so often and this is you know I'm way out of my depths here philosophically but our we think that you know, for a long time I thought consciousness was like, it's what separated me from other things. And I think this is why in the East, you know, when you hear prayers to end the suffering, they say the suffering of, this, we'd like to end the suffering of all conscious beings. So, like, uh, a dog is conscious. Uh, mushrooms, like the way they communicate, they have there's a consciousness there and that maybe it's just a consciousness only consciousness only world which is a a big topic for another time but it like the brain like i have a sense that i have a body i have a sense that i'm a continuous person i have a sense that time is passing or that uh and basically like he this guy Anil seth broke it down he's like basically like you know your senses perceive all of this stuff around you and we're living in a multi-sensory 3d movie <clears throat> and what your brain brain is basically doing to tie back is like it's a prediction engine and it's predicting patterns and so i don't know if you've ever done one of those tests online where it's like what color do you think these two squares are on a checkerboard and you look and you're like oh that one's They're two different shades of gray. And then they remove the shadow or the thing making the illusion of a shadow. And you realize that the squares have been the same color all along. And so your brain is filling out. It sees the patterns of a checkerboard or a chessboard. And so it goes white, black, white, black, white, black, white, black, white, black. when actually the colors are exactly the same. And so your brain is predicting that and then creating reality. And so what we perceive is our brain's best guess about what's out there, which is just, that's mind blowing to me. Like I'm looking at a plant right now and there's a chance, you know, I did this, that square test several times this morning and I, you know, each time I'm like, no, those are two different colors. And then they kind of remove the thing that changes how my brain sees it. And I realized that they're the same color so I'm looking at a plant, and I'm like, holy shit, do I even know what a plant is? <laughs> you know, like, my brain is constantly perceiving its best guess about what reality is. Um, there was another one, another test they did where there was some kind of, it was like a a, a garbled up sound. It was like, what do you hear? What you a bad idea. And you're like, what? Play it again. I think Brexit's a bad idea. And then you play it again without the distortion. I think Brexit is a bad idea. And now you can hear it. I think Brexit's a bad idea. Right? So like before, but then your brain has the ability to predict what was being said with the distortion. And it can hear... It can hear the sentence that we know how to speak in English. I don't know. It was like what we perceive hasn't changed. The thing I'm perceiving hasn't changed, but my brain's ability to predict what it is, has changed. So our brain's best guess can change what we hear, right? You can totally hear me saying I think Brexit's a bad idea in that because our brain's best guess has changed what we hear. And so <laughs> what he put out there and this is this might be the mind melter for me for the day for the week is that perception is a controlled hallucination being managed by our brain. So everything we perceive is just a controlled hallucination and our brain The brain's predictions are being reined in by the information that that I'm getting through my senses. And so you have tons of years while your brain's developing. You know, between one and five, your brain grows 90%. You know, it's a quarter of the size of a human brain when you're born. And then by the time you're five, it's 90% of the size it will be. You know, these are all like, you know, it's like when you look at a baby and they're just like taking in the world, it's like their brain is laying out this framework for reality. And so, like, it makes me really wonder, like, are, are babies just tripping all the time, basically? Just these little hallucination machines, you know? Like, I mean, based on what this guy says, we're all hallucinating all the time. Um, but I think that's really fascinating, like, that when we when we agree about our hallucinations, that's reality. You know? So, reality for a right-winger, it's like everybody who's a right-wing You know Bible thumper is agreeing about reality and that's reality to them me being on the other side it's like I agree and then I find people who agree about what reality is because all of us love the truth we love the truth so much that you know we would rather like if we had a happy relationship that was going perfectly meeting all of our needs in every single way a hundred percent of people when asked if that partner was cheating on you, would you want to know? Say yes, because people would rather know the truth than be happy. And so, like, all of these, like, when we have an agreed-upon hallucination, we'd rather know the truth, you know, we'd rather agree upon the truth. I don't know, it's just fascinating to me, really. And it made me think, like, In my experience with hallucinogens, you know, and there's a ton of research out there on that now, like LSD breaks down the, like it, it it disrupts the patterns that your brain is projecting onto reality. And like, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, I, you know, I experienced reality as is when I was hallucinating and I met God and like, I saw how it works. And, you know, this this study about the brains that Anil Seth is doing really kind of reinforced that, you know, and he's he's working with multidisciplinary teams to understand consciousness and understand how our brains factor into that, you know. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, they're using... You know, microdoses of LSD or ketamine or MDMA or psilocybin[s] in a controlled setting with a therapist and support to help people break up the patterns they see for you know therapeutic or addiction. You know, there's a huge uh, success rate with addiction uh, with the use of controlled uh, use, monitored use of hallucinogens. There's like I think like an 80 percent reviticism rate without and then like i think that's right maybe i'm getting the word wrong basically there's a significant larger success rate for long-term healing with addiction with controlled use of hallucinogens in a therapeutic environment versus just like you know the model that aa puts forth which is guilt and shame and you're a piece of shit and you're morally corrupt And I think that makes a lot of sense to me that like breaking up those patterns of how we see ourselves and how we see reality, you know, looking at our trauma, like using controlled pattern breakers, right, because we get we get into we get into patterns, we start seeing people the same way we start seeing ourselves the same way and disrupting those patterns is actually beneficial for healing and growth and that your brain, you know, can keep growing your whole life. I think that's, that's pretty neat. Um, what else do we have here? Yeah. Perception is kind of a controlled hallucination. The brain predictions are reined in from the information. Uh, yeah. And the sense of self is like a controlled hallucination. You know, there's no, there's no thing that is Colby, you know, Colby is a series of memories. changes over times, it changes in context. I'm capable of lots of different things in different contexts, good and bad. Um, there's a really cool study that they did about like even the sense of like having a body, right? So like you have a sense that I have a body. I am this body. Colby, this is Colby. These are Colby's toes. And there's a really cool test where they have people sit at a table and they put up a blinder. Uh so their, their arms are on the table, and they put up a blinder in between their their eyes and like their left arm. So there's like a, a cardboard wall there where you can't see your left arm. And then they have a, a fake arm laying on the table. And they begin stroking both the fake arm and your real arm with like a paintbrush. And eventually your brain, can't tell the difference between either of the arms and so what they do is they have somebody run in and stab the fake arm with a fork and every time the the participant pulls their real arm back and so at some point like your brain is predicting like that that is my arm that just like that one melted my brain you know and i think that's like this cool i don't know if you've ever parked your car and somehow you feel like you can tell where the edges of your car like your body somehow knows where the edges of your car are or you know if you're using a tool like a hammer becomes the extension of your arm i think that's really like the brain is capable of projecting your arm to the end of the hammer which is really neat and yeah we're basically just our brains are just these insane things. I don't I don't even pretend to understand them, but that's kind of where I got this week. And I'm gonna just I'll probably keep doing this series because I really I like the idea that this isn't what I thought it was. That there's something else going on here. And the brain, you know, here in the West, we we really value the brain. Uh, we really And that hasn't always been the case, you know, we think of our brains as like the decision maker and there's evidence that, you know, there's neuroscience on choice is actually made subconsciously before you're uh, conscious, you know, before you're aware that you made a decision, your brain's already made the decision. You know, and a lot of old philosophical writing in the East and even like Plato basically Socrates kind of set out to be like, why are we like, you know, so prone to bullshitting ourselves is basically what Socrates' whole thing was. Like, I'm going to have a conversation with you until you realize how prone to bullshit you are. And John Ravakey talks about this at length in the first five episodes of his course, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. And then Plato was like, well, why? (laughs) why is that the case why why are we so prone to bullshit and basically he put forth that we have three thinking centers we have one in our head we have one in our heart we have one in our our gut you know and in the east you know the stuff i've studied from india and and buddhism you know the chakra system that we have these intelligence centers and they're all communicating it's just it's really fascinating to me, and you know Plato put forth you know if you if you can control the brain, learn how to think rationally through whatever, whether it's uh whether it's through dialogue, whether it's through argumentation, if you can begin to think rationally, then you can then control your emotions you can control your heart and then you can can control he put forth there's like a man in your head a lion in your heart and a monster in your gut and in the west it's you know i think that we we just think that it's the brain controlling everything you know i did the podcast on the, the the gut brain connection there was a cool study done where it most, there were a lot of people who had their first anxious or depressive episode after a severe stomach illness, you know, after, you know, their, their, their gut bacteria got completely rocked and then probiotics helped kind of restore their mental, emotional well-being. And I think this is, I don't know, it's just fascinating. It's like the more curious we get about this stuff, the more we discover, the more we see that these old systems... You know, whether it's what Plato put forth or the chakra system, that there's actually, there was something to it. You know, these people thousands of years ago laid out a map for a lot of this stuff for us and that we're beginning to understand it more and more because we're just infinitely curious beings and we love understanding what reality is. And so, yeah, if you ever get bored and really just want to have a good time, go nerd out on some cognitive neuroscience some mind brain body connection. I just I think I think it's the most fascinating stuff. So I hope I hope you enjoyed this uh this just kind of rambly exploration into into some brain stuff, you know? Maybe you got something to think about. That's really the only thing I would hope is that it made you look at yourself a little differently, maybe made you scratch your head, maybe got a little curious about educating yourself about something. Because I really believe this stuff's all connected, like literally everything, you know, I'm not separate from the world around me. And I find it fascinating. And My brain really enjoys seeing what all these brilliant human beings are doing in university and in science labs to understand this stuff to understand how we work i love seeing how that's connected to these metaphorical mythological frames works that we laid out thousands of years ago i think we're all we're all just trying to figure it out so thanks for joining me today if you got something from this please 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 like share subscribe leave a review on itunes i appreciate all of you so much we are approaching the one turning on the buns is about to be one year old that's really cool one year of doing this so thank you so much for your support like subscribe share on facebook or instagram if you have the ability to you could become a patron and support this podcast financially. This is, I don't have any advertisements on this podcast right now. This is a passion project sponsored by you, the listeners. Thank you to my patrons. If you want to become a patron, pay the price of a cup of coffee or a sandwich once a month. You can go to my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones. You can go to my website www.turningofthebones.com there's a link there. You can read some articles that I wrote about a year ago and yeah, help somebody who can't pay for it. And if you can't pay for it, don't worry about it. Keep tuning in. I'm going to keep doing this. It's great fun. I had an outstanding time researching kind of this this first go at the 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 brain nerd series on turning of the bones taking a look at some of these just random facts that make me scratch my head so I hope you enjoyed this podcast I hope it was fun for you a little break from the emotional heaviness of the last four episodes about accountability and forgiveness thank you all for your feedback about that I just I can't tell you how much it means to get positive feedback after doing after doing that series it was really challenging and I just appreciate all the support and feedback i got i had nearly 100 listens last week and that's that's the highest number of listens in a week yet so thank you so much i appreciate you all take care of yourselves be well the bones. bye now